Today we continue in our series, 30 Sayings of the Wise, looking at 21, 22, 23, and 24. We're going to see again that wisdom sets us apart, allows us to succeed the way that God intended us to. We're going to see how it allows us to succeed in the home and in the business area and arena and even in wise decision making where our voice is heard because we're applying the wisdom of God. It's an opportunity to let us tap into this incredible wisdom that God says I'll give to you through experiences, asking the Holy Spirit. So let's grab our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 24. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. And we will see today that wisdom builds impenetrable homes. So turn to Proverbs 24. Let's read together verses 3 to 9. When you find that, stand and we'll read it out loud together. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 9. Wisdom builds impenetrable homes. We're going to see right from the beginning. Let's read this out loud together. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 9. Ready, read. By wisdom a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. The wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Wisdom is too high for fools. In the assembly at the gate, they must not open their mouths. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and the people detest a mocker. You may have a seat. We see right away that wisdom builds impenetrable homes. And look again at verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Be quite frank, just reading that again this week, I found myself just reading that and, and just pausing and just taking a breath like, ah, that's just a beautiful picture. It says, look what it says, it, it encourages us that through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and what kind of treasures? Beautiful treasures. It also lets us know that, that through understanding, it is established. That the room after room after room in your home or household There's an establishment of a rare and beautiful treasure, not the opposite of chaos or temporariness or that the rooms are just knockoffs of the truth. But this is incredible picture that you walk into each room of this house. It's filled with memories of God's sightings and memories of praise and memories of something that's rare and beautiful. And the understanding, the concept of understanding takes on the idea of having the ability to bring things together all the information that you've collected, and it's taking that and building it together. Knowledge is is insight to know how to gather the facts, and wisdom is putting it to the action. So we have this progression, blueprints, and then we see building supplies, and then we see the decor of every room is rare and beautiful. Solomon says wisdom builds homes that are built to last, and they don't need another establishment date. The idea of established means this, that I'm not going anywhere. Your home and family was established at the point you were married or the time that you moved into it as a single. The establishment date is there and it's not going anywhere. This morning, as I was going back over this early this morning, I began to process how our home can be a home of rare and beautiful treasures how my wife has done a really good job of making it that way just through her decor and just that our, our rooms speak. 
Your room speaks and words are very powerful. The words that you speak in your rooms are powerful and the words that are spoken in rooms are powerful. Even the things that you place in those rooms, you have memories that have taken place, but sometimes the walls themselves can speak truth. And so I'm sitting in the front room and I'm recognizing once again that it's all over our walls. So literally, I just grabbed my iPhone and I began taking some pictures of some of our rooms. I obviously didn't have time to do every room and Everyone in the house was asleep and just want to show you how our walls are speaking truth. And as we look at these truths day after day, we are praying these over our home. When we were first married, Anne had a a frame done or picture done that she wanted to hang in our house. And when we were married 20 plus years ago, this was a verse that was near and dear to her. And so we both believed it and and began praying this over our home. Little did I know 20 plus years ago how important this was to pray and a dream that we had for our home. This was before kids, obviously, and it's been placed in many of our homes, places that we've rented, places that we've purchased in the house that we're in today. And this is before I understood as much as I do now in prayer. And this was before I understood as much as I do now about the spirit world. But years ago, Anne took this verse and we framed it. And she had it framed or it was framed. And it says, by wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. This has been a piece of our home for 20 plus years. This has been a prayer of ours for a home before kids. And the reality is, is that many of these things, the precious and rare memories have come as a result of asking, asking God for it to take place. So today I, t- I took some pictures of, of our house speaking forth truth. Let me show you some of the ways that we desire our house to be that so that when people walk in, they're refreshed. Here's some pictures today of things that are in our house that Anne has placed in her home. If you walk in, into our mud room and you walk where our, we grab our shoes and our coats, there's a verse that many are familiar with, fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your home, Nehemiah 4.14. So as we gather our things before we leave, we're reminded that we have an opportunity to fight for one another. That's hanging on the wall of our house. Another picture I snapped this morning and has written by hand in our living room where we eat and as we sit down at the table, this is something that she has put we prayed over home, may this house be blessed with laughter, peace, creativity, good memories, generosity, traditions, kindness, joy, faith, hope, love, courage, God-sized dreams. It's our house speaking and we're praying this, that each room be filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Another place that she has placed something, she painted this on the, the wall as we exit out our back door. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a reminder as we go that we're on mission. We have an opportunity to serve God and in the house that we're in and to serve others. Another place in our house, this is something that she put together. It says the word refresh. We want people to walk into our home as guests and we want it to be a house where it's refreshing. Proverbs says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Words are speaking. It's a house that we don't want tension and chaos. We want it to be a place of refreshment. Another thing that can be found on our walls is going down our, in, in our bathroom upstairs, in the guest bathroom, one that Josh and Hannah use. It's on the medicine cabinet door. And so if you're washing your hands, you can look to your left. And there's the spiritual armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, 
the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. It's a reminder to our kids and my son and for guests that they come in that we're in a spirit battle, that we can arm ourselves to be ready. Another thing that you'll find in our home, in the study that we're in, a gift that was given to me, it's a beautiful picture, a reminder of the bride meeting the groom, beautifully painted, a painting that a friend gave me. It's a reminder as we go into our office that this isn't our final home, that the best is yet to come in heaven. You also see this found in our home. If you walk down the steps to our family room downstairs on the right, Anne has put this on this chalk frame. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's a reminder that we're not in this alone. The walls are speaking words of truth to us, and we're praying this over our home. You can also find this in our home on a wall downstairs that every day is a gift from God. It's a reminder that the fact that we're alive, that it's a gift from God. Speaking for truth. You can do it more with words. You can do it even in the decor of your home by building memories. Another thing we have in our house downstairs in the bathroom downstairs. If you ever walk into our home and use that, it's a bathroom that Josh uses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a reminder of truth. It's speaking forth, trying to, that we can, by God's grace, create rare and beautiful treasures. You also find things like this in our house, in our bedroom. It's something that we work hard at. It says, Always kiss me goodnight. It's something Ann and I have practiced. We work hard at every single night before we go to sleep to give each other a kiss goodnight and say, I love you. It's important that you articulate those words. It, we don't want the sun to go down on our anger. And so we work hard at making sure, in case that's the last time we say goodnight, that the last thing we remember that we affirmed each other with a term of affection. So you can see this is pretty large if you walk into our bedroom above the two windows. Kiss me goodnight. Make it a place where we love each other. You also see this in walking out the front door. A framed picture that says, life is beautiful. You can just see these words of truth being spoken from the walls of our house. Creating an environment of peace creating an environment where rare and beautiful treasures can take place. If you walked into this room, you would see this downstairs. My wife has a place where she does crafts. She took this bumper sticker from Jimmy John's we were where she said, I have to have that. And this is vote for Jimmy. Delivery speed and quality you can trust. So when she works hard, she's reminded that her hubby is Jimmy and and then in our, one of our rooms, if you walk into our, our den area where we study, you will see a bear and you'll see a deer and you'll see a whole bunch of other mounts in there. But I'm reminded when I see that of Proverbs chapter uh, 17, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 12 says, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. That wisdom is important and we shouldn't run the path or hang out with foolish people. But we know from this truth that Solomon wants us to build homes that are built to last. The challenge, though, is that it's opposed every day of our lives. And if we do not lay a good foundation, then Jesus and the truths of Christ will be destroyed. What are some of the rare and beautiful treasures that Solomon might be referring to here today? Well, I've written a list and I've asked God, even as I was beginning this message this week, Lord, give me wisdom to talk about wisdom. 
God, show me some ways that rare and beautiful treasures can fill the rooms of our homes. I would begin by saying this. Each room, each house, a rare and beautiful treasure is where there's mutual respect for each other. The flip side of that is disrespect. Our houses should be filled with rooms where people can speak and love. You can hear them out. You don't cut them off. You value what they have to say. Then you ask the spirit what you should do. We want to create an environment in our home where the children, the parents can communicate. They can share and we can agree to disagree or we can continue to share and respect the words instead of disrespect, saying horrible things about each other. So it's a place where there's respect. Another rare and valuable or treasure, beautiful treasure, is unity versus tension. So many homes are filled and rooms are filled with unresolved conflict. Yet when I was thinking through our rooms, the memories that we have of holding hands together and praying over things and sitting at our kids' bed and, and listening to them articulate and praying over them and or circling around and praying over our community and our neighborhood. But unity, work hard making unity surface. Otherwise, it's just tension. Memories of, of sitting around our table laughing and eating supper together. We work really hard at having a meal together every day. Sharing the joys of what God has done. Thanksgiving times, my favorite holiday. Sharing all that God has done and sitting with our family and just reflecting back over the year. Also create a home where, where encouragement is on the top of the list instead of discouragement. Our words have the power of life and death. You want to speak rare and beautiful treasures in your home? You want to see them packed? It begins with your words. Words have the power of life and death. How you talk to your wife and how you talk to your husband or how you talk to your kids or how you talk to others and, and the words that you text on your phone. I will also just pull away and say this from a parenting perspective. Your children listen to what you're saying. And you plant seeds of discouragement or encouragement. And so the very things that you say about your kids, even in passing, sometimes with sarcasm. Sarcasm is a way to plant a seed of discord, of discouragement. Saying something about your kids like, I can't wait till they get out of the house and hopefully I get, finally get, can, can get through the threes or fours or I can't believe I finally got a night to get away from them. And those kind of words, if your kids get wind of that, you're planting discouragement in their heart instead of encouragement. And you are attacking the very character that God is trying to build up with identity in them. I don't even get into conversations where people sarcastically begin to say things about their kids. One, well, I, this kid's that way and that's that way. I can hardly stand it. And listen to me. Speak life into their lives instead of discouragement into their lives. Are your rooms filled with words of encouragement to your children or discouragement to your kids? Make your home a place of rare and beautiful treasures. Hope versus hopelessness. Tell stories of changed lives regularly over and over. Let them know that they can make it, your kids. And speak into your husband's life and say, we've been here before, honey, and we're going to get through it by God's grace. Don't tear down his character. Build hope instead of hopelessness. Build love instead of hate. Hate should only be spoken about in two. And one of the things we value, we don't use the word hate. 
One of the things we tried to do is encourage our kids to only talk hate about Satan and sin. Don't say, I hate you. I hate him. I hate her. I hate that teacher. I hate that. Hate should only be attributed to where evil resides, and that's in Satan and sin. Really remove that word from your vocabulary, especially when you're speaking about people. Don't let your kids say, I hate my brother. I hate him. I hate her. Let them teach them. It's a teachable moment. Pull them away and say, listen, hate should only be attributed to the creator of of evil and sin, Satan himself. So create an environment where there's love versus hate. Create an environment that's beautiful and rare, intimacy, as opposed to coldness. Say the words, I love you, often. Learn to say it to your kids. Make sure you say it before they leave. We work really hard, even to this day. If our kids are driving to to Dollar General in New Paris, by the way, that rocked the world in New Paris, Dollar General. It is awesome. You laugh, and I'm serious, and it's awesome having Dollar General in New... Isn't it, Kevin, having Dollar General in New Paris? But even if they're driving to Dollar General before they leave, if they're around us, we work hard at saying, hey, I love you. Hey, I love you. If they're leaving for a little bit, going for a run, hey, 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 I love you. Why? Because I've stood at the casket of so many people who have said these words. I wish I would have said, I love you one more time. Say to your wife and to your husband, Repeat it over. Say it before they fall asleep, before they leave. Create a a home of intimacy. Learn how to hug your kids and your wives, men. Listen to me. Listen. And quit using the the, the, the excuse that, well, we're just German. We don't hug. Like, where is that? Where it is. I am German, so thus saith the Lord, do not hug. Embrace them. Love on them. Attach a touch to your words. Learn how to hug. Like, start with your wife. And just hug her. Hold on to her. And then hug your kids. Pick them up and hold them. Teach them how to show love to each other. Have you ever tried to embrace a guy who, who, who somehow says, well, we don't hug. We've never hugged. My dad never hugged. and we never." So what? Break that chain. Bring intimacy back into the home and touch your child. Have you ever, I've had these moments where you go to hug a guy and like, you want to give a high five, like, and so you hug and then they go, like, yeah, like, it's so awkward. Like, let's break that. Like, dude, I'm not hugging you because I want you, okay? I'm hugging you because I love you, okay? Show intimacy, brothers in Christ. It's so awkward sometimes. Like, guys, like. I see in Scripture, there's a beautiful picture of the the prodigal son when he's run away and rebelled. And there's this picture of the father who's just longing to see him. And it says he runs to him. And you've heard me say this. Listen, those kind of men in that position never ran anywhere. But he rolled up the hems of his robe. And you see this picture of him running. And then it says he hugged him. He embraced him. Embrace your wives. Hug them. Hold them. Hold their hands Like, even if you're walking and leaving today, like, this is your wife. Grab her hand. Hold her tight. Walk her to the car. 
And when you walk her to the car, open her door. Even if you have kids, listen, sit the kids down, open the door up and say, baby, you were first. Let her in. Man, just like whatever happened to chivalry and love, just taking the time to do. I watch people exit here. He's busting out the door. She's busting out the door. And it's like, hey, let's go. I love you. Oh, it's old. (laughs) Show love and intimacy. Affirm her. Fill your house with that kind of love. Faithfulness. Fill your rooms with faithfulness instead of lack of consistency. Pray over your home faithfully. Pray with your wives faithfully. Listen to me, dudes. Listen to me, husbands. Pray with. Preposition is with, not just for. Pray with them. There's no reason you can't do that daily. Pray with them. And that means if you go to work before they do and you're saying, well, she gets up at a different time, then Come back to the bed after your dress. Lay your hand on her and pray with her quietly and let her sleep. Pray with her. Studies will show you that those that pray with each other, Christians that pray with each other regularly, the level of intimacy grows in their lives because something happens when there's touch connected to prayer. Be faithful in praying with them. Also, be faithful in praying for your family. Like many of you, let me just talk a little about spirit world. We live in a spirit world. We have a spirit enemy. We have a spirit God, and we are spirit beings. So we have prayer that helps us to speak to the spirit world that we live in. Part of our responsibility of being faithful is to protect the gate and the walls of our home. So pray regularly that God would command his angels to guard your home. When's the last time you did that? Walk to the corners of your property as the gatekeeper, even as single people, and say, God, this is yours. When's the last time you prayed over your possessions? Many of us have bought stuff from garage sales, from, from stores. We've eaten food in restaurants. We, we bought vehicles and used vehicles and new vehicles. You have no idea how the enemy could be using those very things to allow evil or a curse to come into your house. You have no idea his strategies could be someone who's unsaved, building this thing, selling this thing, and then then saying before they sell it, Satan, I pray a curse over the possessor of this. And we bring it right in. Some of you are driving cars and there's been all kinds of evil things done on it and you've never dedicated it to God. We live as though we don't have an enemy. Pray over everything that comes into your house. Everything that comes, everything that you eat. You don't know someone back in that restaurant is praying the spell over this food that you're eating. Listen, we have power and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But if we don't tap into his power, we could be tricked and duped. When is the last time you prayed over something you bought at Walmart? You just buy it and you put it on and you wear it. Listen, you can guard the gates of your home and be faithful in prayer. Another rare and beautiful treasure is order versus chaos. Clutter. Is your house cluttered? Is your life cluttered? Are there tons of unfinished product projects and you keep starting other ones before you get some done? 
Is your house just littered with clothes and trash and dishes and disorder? Listen, you might think it's no big deal. And here's what normally people say. Well, I know where everything's at. No one else does, but you do. (laughs) Studies have shown, and scientists have done tons of studies. There's been all kinds of studies done on cluttering. In fact, we need to get rid of the clutter in, in our lives. There's been studies to show that that if you don't have an uncluttered environment, if it is cluttered, that you will be irritable, grumpy, and less productive because you're distracted by the clutter in your room. Ask yourself this question. How often do you push people away from your clutter because you don't want them to see the clutter? Order. The author of confusion is Satan, and he can use cluttered lives to confuse us. Fill your home with order. Our God is a God of order, not of chaos. Fill your home with peace versus fear. Fight for your brothers and sisters. Don't let things come into your house that shouldn't come in. Make sure you manage the TV viewing. Make sure you manage the computer viewing. Make sure you manage the next. Listen, some people make these things and those and justify. Well, this movie has this. It will be okay because we're mature adults. Listen, if you're watching things that God Himself wouldn't want to watch, then you shouldn't watch it either. Make sure your home is a place of victory and peace, a place where there's not fear but peace. Make sure your children know. That they shouldn't bring this into the home. Let them know when they come home, it's a place of peace. Let me speak to parents of children. Often when kids are little, before they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they'll wake at night with bad dreams and you go into the rooms and they'll yell, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, I see something, I see something, I see something. And so you rush into the room, you run into the room, and and you wake them up and say, it's okay, nothing's here, mommy's here, daddy's here, it'll be all right. So you go back to your room, and they wake up again, screaming and yelling. And you're like, it's okay, listen, there could be a demon in that room. Don't you dare think that a kid that doesn't know Christ, don't you dare think that his soul and his heart is being chased down by the enemy, and he wants that child to live in fear. We live in a spirit world pray in the spirit and say by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ and the power and authority of the work on the cross in Jesus name Lord I ask that you would remove this evil presence I can't tell you how many times parents have been trying to fix a spirit being in a physical way it won't work reading them another story another chapter and Dr. Seuss won't push an enemy away prayer will Peace instead of fear. Make decisions. Now listen, make your own decisions when it comes to what you'll celebrate and will not celebrate. We choose not to celebrate certain holidays in our house. We don't celebrate Halloween. I'm not here to judge anybody, and this is just our view on it. This is what we thought was wise for our kids. We don't celebrate Halloween. Why would I celebrate something that's rooted in evil? So we don't. We don't celebrate it. Our kids haven't missed out. We just buy the candy two days later at Walmart and it's 50% off. It's cheaper. (laughs) There's ways to be on mission. Now, if you're taking it, God has called you to be on mission for it, then do it. Listen, it's a choice that we've made. 
We don't celebrate Halloween. We find ways to remain on mission throughout the year. But I'm not going to allow, and Anne's not going to allow, the presence of fear to be brought into our kids. I don't believe our kids have missed out because they haven't celebrated Halloween. You make the choices on these things. But ultimately, make it a place of peace instead of fear. Make it Christ-centered instead of me-centered. Why? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about this for a second. His primary agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. I would say this, his primary agenda is to divorce you of truth. To divorce you of what God intended. So he's on a mission. I'm going to divorce them of that. I'm going to divorce that marriage. I'm going to divorce them of their parents. I'm going to divorce them from that church. I'm going to divorce them from that truth. And so he's on a mission. Why? Now think about this for a second. What happens, by the way, I pray for you often, for those of you who have been on the receiving end of a husband or a wife who's done a horrible thing and left you. I pray for you regularly. But Satan comes in and he wants to rob both of you. So what's he do? He divorces it. Why is he so bent on divorcing us from truth? Think about it. All those things that were good that you might have had with your former spouse, those moments potentially that you had where God was good, where he did, you prayed and he did miraculous things in your life. And you have memories of that. Some of you have, have photo albums and you've got them recorded. Remember that and remember this. You know what happens once the divorce takes place? Who do you share that with anymore? Like, do you call your ex up and say, hey, rem-? no, he wants to divorce you of all that. You end up, you get rid of those pictures. You get rid of those memories. Why? Because he wants to divorce you of praise. Because praise pushes the enemy away. So he's working at divorcing us of our praise. Listen to me. This makes me even want to battle. Don't let the enemy divorce you of memories that are Christ-centered. Build upon them. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It happens on social media too. You had these great memories. Who do you share them with? It's even hard to share them with the kids because they're fearful. You're bringing up mom or dad. or, And so you go to social media. What do you do? You find your photos, these former photos. Delete, 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 steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants us to divorce us of the praises of what Christ has done so that he can't be defeated. Don't let him Build a home that's Christ-centered and not me-centered. Some of you are on your path to allowing him to steal, kill, and destroy because you want your way. And you think your way is best. And he has deceived you because he's the great deceiver. He's the father of lies and you won't budge an inch because you want to let everyone know that you are right. Well, let me tell you, if it isn't what Christ wants you to do, you have given the enemy a foothold to divorce you of the praises that are in your home. So build a house of rare and beautiful treasures. Look at the next saying that's here. Proverbs chapter 24, saying 22, the wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Get wise by including other wise voices. 
Intelligence outranks strength and muscle every day. If we would spend as much time finding wisdom as we do building our muscles, we would prevail and benefit greatly. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 18 says this, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Why? Because you process. You have a strategy. You've gotten wisdom from counselors. Your strategy says, if you do this, you see, we have an enemy that is daily working schemes to outwit us. We need to seek godly counsel. Not just counsel, but wise counsel. Not just counsel that agrees with you. That happens all the time. We want our way and we know we're right. And so we get godly counsel. And they look at us and they say, you know what? I don't agree with you. And so you know what we do? Well, I'll find someone else. Do you agree with me? I don't agree with you. Let me find someone who agrees with me. And so you work around till you find someone's agreeing with you when everyone else in the room doesn't agree with you. And somehow in your mind, you think, I must be wiser than all these godly people in this room who see it differently. Don't be deceived. By the way, you can get advice anywhere, but make sure it's godly wise counsel. So what is godly wise counsel? Look at the situation that you're in. Ask yourself this question. That person that's, I'm asking for help. What is the condition of their situation that I'm asking advice for? Don't go to someone who's already failed or who is in the midst of the failure and ask for advice. Go to someone who has found victory through Jesus Christ in that area and ask them, what do you think? And then take that counsel, get some more counsel. Through the years, I've had many people give me advice. Much of it has been wise, and I'm very, very grateful. I am eternally grateful as I've led Grace Community and been a father and husband and a leader. They've given me instruction. And by God's grace, I've humbled myself and said, you know what? You're right. That's a great idea. But sometimes it was just the opposite. And I'll say it this way. If someone comes to you in a conversation by saying these words, be very careful how you respond to it. If you've ever had someone come to you and they begin it and preface it by saying this, I believe this is what God wants you to do. Have you ever had that indirectly? It's like someone comes and says, hey, I've been praying and I believe this is what God wants you to do. My response to that is, is always in some form or fashion this way. I believe that God is a God of unity. I believe that God can speak to me too. And if God wants me to do that, I will go and pray. And I believe that he can tell me that too. And if he tells me to do that too, and I am walking in the spirit, then I will do that. But until he tells me to do that, I will continue doing what I'm doing. You see, a lot of people come and they play the God card. This, hey, I, I got this word of the Lord. I was reading this morning. Let me show you right here. Here's what it says. I'm German. Don't hug. There it is. So don't hug. <laughs> Pray and ask God for wisdom. And believe me, Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether we turn to our right or left, our ears our ears, that's your own ears, will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. Never make a premature promise that keeps you in bondage either. When it comes to making wise decisions, don't ever promise someone. If you're an employer and say, you know what, 
I really think it would work out with you as an employee. If opportunity ever comes, I'm going to hire you. And then the opportunity comes and another better choice comes along. All of a sudden, you've put yourself in a situation where you got to go. Never say yes until you've heard the yes from God. Proverbs 17 verse 27 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The biggest mistakes are those that are rushed into. They just are. They're, they just are. You've heard me say it was in the first or second message. I said, don't allow someone else's franticness to allow you to make a decision that's pure foolishness. People come to you all the time. They're asking for help, and they're frantic. Oh, God, if you don't do this, I need help right now. I can't believe you're not doing anything. You're the church. You're the people. You're, you're, you're God said, help people. I'm going to do that. I'm do that. And all of a sudden, you feel like, I've got to do something. No, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. No. Make sure you've prayed about it. Another three hours, another day isn't going to change that situation that much because somewhere they got to that point by making poor decisions all along the way. And listen, if you just step in and make a frantic decision without praying about it, then you'll just allow them, enable them so that they'll continue in this pattern and they'll get somewhere again. Listen, talk to God before you make a decision. A wise person is not a self-reliant person. So he says, consider counsel. A strategy helps you win the victory. Strategy is more important than strength alone. So many of you want better relationships. Many, many of you want better health, better jobs, and better impact, yet are not willing to do the hard work it takes to make it happen. I would facetiously say you're more like an evolutionist than a Christian. You believe that somehow or some way over time, it'll get better or involved into something that you don't have to be intentional about. I've heard people say over this series, here's how it goes. I want wisdom. Boy, I want to be a better parent. I want to be to handle my money better. I want to be a better neighbor. I don't want to be a glutton. I don't want to have alcohol control me. I want to build a house with rare. And that's what I want. I can't wait. And it's like somehow you're wishing that it happens. Like, yeah, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom, God. Woo, it's going to be a day that, that I'm, I'm going to be there. But you don't have a strategy. Listen to me. If you don't have a daily plan to grow in Christ, if you don't have a daily plan to be healthy in Christ, if you don't have a daily plan to be a good parent, if you're just hoping it happens, that's just a wish. It's not a strategy. You got to have a goal. Like you need someone in your life that show me, show me the plan. Show me the plan. Show it to me. And daily, you got to be in the word. Daily, you got to be running. Daily, you got to be exercising. Daily, you got to be choosing the calories that you're eating. Daily, you got to be walking away from angry situations. Daily, you got to be praying that God would help you to overcome. Daily, daily, daily. In order to become the wise person and put it into action, it takes day after day after day, month after month, year after year. It won't happen with just waving a wand and say, I wish. It takes strategy. And many of you are longing for these wise things to happen in your life. It won't happen on its own. It requires diligence and hard work. Most people want to win, but are not willing to do the work to make it happen. Another thing you've got to keep in mind, there are plenty of deceivers out there trying to convince you 
the way you should go. And the enemy works to outwit you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at the deceiver. Turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Hold your finger in Proverbs. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 says this. 2 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 11 says, Another reason I wrote you, Paul says, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order. In other words, your heart needs to be forgiving others. You can't harbor bitterness and anger. In order that Satan might not what you? Outwit you. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Listen. Some of you are allowing Satan to divorce your strategies because you have anger or unforgiving heart or pride. Some of you are like that plastic that they put things in now. Like you go buy something and they put it in this plastic and then they expect you somehow to open it up. Like, do you use scissors? Do you use a knife? It's like, then you open it up and it cuts your fingers. Like, man, can we come up with something better than that? It's like our hearts are encased in that plastic and we're expecting Expecting a different result, but it's harbored in bitterness. And when it is, if you haven't forgiven someone else, God above won't forgive you. And you will not overcome. You will be outwitted, outstrategized by a deceiver called Satan. We must be in tune with the Spirit to receive wise counsel. Two people can be sitting in the same room receiving the same input and one walk away applying it and the other not doing it. Your heart will not function properly when it's wrapped in bitterness. So what happens? You get disillusioned. You get discouraged because of it. And so Satan is trying to disarm you. Satan is trying to discourage you. Satan is trying to... Have you get to a place where you can't win the battle? And so you give up. But I got good news for you. In Christ, with the hope of Christ, we can do the impossible because Christ can work through us. This week, as I was processing this message, I feel like the Lord gave me these words and I threw them out on social media. I want to give them to you today to put hope back into a situation that seems hopeless. That thing, meeting, report from the doctor, unknown answer, uncertainty, heaviness, child, marriage, deficit, or burden that feels insurmountable has already passed through the hands of our God while you slept last night. And he is working it out for good to those that are his. So walk lightly today by handing it back to him instead of carrying it all day long. Your back was never intended to carry those burdens. God is good on his promises. We need to... Talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Look at the next saying. He says this, wisdom is too high for fools. In the assembly at the gate, they must not open their mouths. The lack of wisdom diminishes your impact. Many people want to move up in their field, whatever it is. But listen to me, you must operate in wisdom for God to get the glory and the credit. And as you do, he bumps you up. And as you do, people listen to your voice. Wisdom gives you a voice in high places. People begin to look to you for input. 
Have you ever been in a meeting? Have you ever been in a council? Have you ever been in a gathering where it was a very perplexing situation? And all of a sudden, this lady stands up or this man stands up and they speak and you go, wow. Like, and you find yourself saying, how did they know that? And you find yourself saying, that is the exact answer for this situation. God says, I'll allow you to have that voice if you trust in me and you work in such a way where you're leaning on me. I will give you that wisdom and I will give it to you generously. Why? Not so that you get the credit, so that others point to Jesus Christ because of you. Because you can say, where'd you get that? My God gave it to me. Wisdom comes in many ways. Be a lifelong learner. Like, once again, you're not going to become wise by just saying, "Woo, wave the wand. I'm praying that I'll just become wise. Sure, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher in the world. So why don't you just regularly ask him, Holy Spirit, teach me in this area. Holy Spirit, give me understanding. Holy Spirit, what should I do? Holy Spirit, what should... How often do you cry out to the Holy Spirit and ask him for help? How many of you just default to trying to figure it out yourself first? Well, I'm really good at math. I'm really good at English. I'm really good at this, so I don't need help. How many... I'm really good. I'm really, 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 really good. How many of you default to your own instead of just asking... Holy Spirit, help me to do this in the best way possible. The way you become a wise person is having a pattern, a strategy of learning. Truth is known that when a man graduates from high school, he only reads one more book the rest of his life. Like if you want to become wise, you need to have a reading plan. You need to say, this year I'm going to read five books. This year I'm going to read 10 books. This year I'm going to read 50 books. This year I'm going to read 20 books. This, this year I'm going to read through the Bible. This year I'm going to pray regularly. This year I'm going to work this skill. This year I'm going to be faithful in the little so God gives me. There must be a strategy. Like if you were to open me up, listen, wisdom that I've gleaned is from many, many other people. My mind has been saturated by, by the word of God, spending time there. Like if you want to read a book, keep reading this book. And it'll give you words and words of wisdom. But read other people. There are so many times that I'm, I'm trying to process through something. And I'll remember, oh, I read this over here. Oh, he said that in a sermon. I listened to that podcast. I listened to that teaching. You must have a strategy. It's not just, well, I'll, I'll try this week. What is your plan to grow in wisdom. Your foolishness, otherwise, it tells us that you'll be detested and people will detest you as a mocker. I always cringe a little bit when I watch people who once walked with the Lord walk away from him and begin cutting down the people that they once followed. Proverbs seventeen thirteen says, evil will never leave the house of one who pays back evil for good. Look at the last saying that's here. It's a small one, but it's worthy of the 30. Whoever plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and people detest a mocker. Think about that. First one before, wisdom is too high as a fool, and as the gate, they must not open their mouths. I mean, these are a combination. Both of these could be tied together almost as one, and we're kind of doing that, looking at the same thing. The wisdom is too high for fools. Now the wisdom plots evil, not opening the mouths. Basically, they're one point together and continue this thought that fools incubate sin. You cook up eagle regularly, one version says. You'll be known as the prince of rogues. 
I love that translation. If you're a person who constantly, whether it's, in, whether it's you're plotting it, whether you're, you're speaking it in places that you shouldn't, that you're a prince of rogues. It's the idea of being a scoundrel, a rascal, rascal a reprobate, good for nothing. You know what a rogue is? A rogue is an elephant or large wild animal driven away or living apart from the herd, having savage or destructive tendencies. It's a person known as a cold, calculating with no heart, becomes a loner. Sooner or later, the public will tire of them. They destroy beautiful things. So basically, if we don't lean on God's wisdom, it's one or the other. We can't open our mouths at the assembly gate and we'll be considered as a mocker and a deceiver and we will be detested by everyone else. And you will lose your voice of influence in the world for Jesus. Some of you, your marriages, your relationships, your businesses, your friendships, have lost a voice because of the way you're living in unwise situations. Some of you are. People will never come to you. You've lost your voice. Because your actions don't equal what you're saying. You're saying, do this. This is what God wants. But at home, you're living this way. In the business, you're making these kind of deals. In your friendships, in your neighborhoods, you're doing this. But you're speaking something very differently. You will lose your voice of influence. And you will lose the circle of influence that God once gave to you if you don't act in a wise way. You will be considered a mocker. The end result is death, destruction, and disaster. And you'll lose the favor of God. However, if we walk in wisdom, it will set us apart. Would you stand with me in closing, please? I want you to just bow your heads and just reflect a little bit. And close your eyes and just, I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I want you to ask the Spirit to speak to you. Where have you lost your influence because of unwise decisions? Ask the Spirit of God to speak to you. Ask Him to reveal whether it's a stubborn, callous, prideful heart. Ask Him to show you what to do. Where are you making unwise decisions in parenting and discipline and speaking truth to your kids and making your household a place of encouragement and discouragement? Are you planting seeds of discouragement by wishing that your kids weren't around, by, by speaking things that you don't want them around? Where... Do you need to make some wise decisions when it comes to eating and gluttony and health? Where have you dropped the ball and just hoping that something evolves out without the willingness to take those steps? Where are you depending on alcohol in an unhealthy way? 
Where is alcohol mastering you to allow you to sleep and to help you get over stress, to pacify and numb the hardness that you're facing? Where are there some relationship with neighbors where an ancient boundary stone has been moved and you no longer talk because this took place or that took place? Where do you need to humble yourself and go and restore that relationship? Where have you refused to listen to godly counsel over and over and over again and you find yourself in a relationship that's the same place it's always been? Where do you need to listen to the advice of wise people instead of your own advice? What patterns have you set in place that are destroying the name of Jesus Christ? Wisdom is hard work. But those who walk with the wise become wise. And those who ask Jesus for wisdom, he will give it generously to them. How can you get from point A to point B? What is your plan? Ask the Spirit to reveal that and do it. Lord, I pray in an unusual way this week, next week, I pray that accountability would surface. I pray that we would listen and apply. I pray that our actions will match our words I pray that we create households where there are rare and beautiful treasures. And I pray ultimately, God, because of the wise steps that we take, that you get greater glory and thousands run to Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the truths of your word. Thank you for how they can change us if we apply them. And now, Lord, I commit your people back to you. I pray for courage to do the hard thing, the right thing the disciplined thing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.